If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to episode 44 of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast, and I am welcoming back my first ever guest. So we have our first repeat guest, and that is Amrit Sadna, who is a holistic health coach and an anxiety coach. And when I interviewed her last time, we realized that there was an opportunity to really talk through codependency on an episode. So I wanted to bring her back to talk through her own personal journey through codependency. And before I jump into the episode, I want to talk about what codependency is because there are so many definitions of it. There are so many, you know, quote unquote, symptoms of it or signs of it. Traditionally, codependency was really just seen as a person who was involved with someone who was an addict or an alcoholic. And as time has gone on, this, you know, definition has opened up quite a bit. And so I wanted to just share, you know, what codependency is and the dictionary definition of it is an excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, a partner, a friend, a family member. And some of the signs of codependency include having a hard time saying no, having poor boundaries, showing emotional reactivity, feeling compelled to take care of people, having a need for control, especially over others, having trouble communicating honestly, fixating on mistakes, feeling a need to be liked by everyone, feeling a need to always be in a relationship, denying one's own needs, thoughts, and feelings, intimacy issues, confusing love, and fear of abandonment. And if you've experienced those things, it does not mean that you are a codependent or, you know, I think there's a big difference between a codependent and codependent tendencies. So anyways, in this episode, Amrit talks about how her journey to discovering that she had codependent tendencies, how she worked through them as she was going through a divorce, how she has healed that, how she worked through that when she was dating. Because, 
you know, after you get out of a relationship as someone with codependent tendencies, it can be really, really scary to be alone, especially if you've never really been alone in your life. So she shares super honestly, super vulnerably her story. And I'd encourage you, even if you're not someone that thinks you have codependent tendencies, to listen to this episode because we talk about boundaries. We talk about speaking up for yourself. We talk about identifying red flags. So there's just so much good stuff in this episode. And just like in the first episode, Amrit is just amazing. I love her energy. I love how open she shares and how she really just wants to help other people who are going through the same thing. So without further ado, here is episode 44. Well, welcome back, Amrit, to the show. I'm so excited to have you back for a part two. We got so much good feedback, and I know you got individually such good feedback from your first episode on anxiety, and I heard from so many of my followers how important that was to have that have another tool in their toolkit to be able to walk through a breakup. And then, so for those, if you haven't already listened to her first episode, highly recommend you go back. Um, but today we are talking about something, I guess not completely different, but something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those that missed your first episode, can you tell us a little bit about you, what you do, who you are? Yeah, I, um, so I'm a holistic health and anxiety coach. I mostly help uh, women to change their relationship with their anxiety, their triggers, their body, mind, spirit, so that they can live a fully embodied, grounded life and take back control of of their life, basically. Um, I was in a 12-year-long relationship that was very toxic and very um, codependent and unhealthy with an addict. And um, that's mostly what the last podcast was about, was how I went through... um, disengaging and separating myself from that and coming out on the other side. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd met, you touched on it, but we're going to talk about codependency today, which is such an important topic because even if, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm a codependent person. I think no matter no matter if you are, if you're not, after you go through a breakup, like I think we all have codependent tendencies that pop up because we're missing someone from our lives and it feels like we have something missing and it feels like this void that we need to fill. And for me personally, I struggled so much of my life with codependency and I you know, I think you and I share that we're very much still works in progress when it comes to codependency, but I've had so many messages from people that you know, have never spent time alone. They've, you know, either been in relationships their whole lives or just have always had that person that they can, you know, base their self off of, you know, whether that's a parent or friends or partners. And so when we go through this journey of going through a breakup, we we do have to we do have to learn how to be alone and not just for the time we are single. But I think, you know, me being in a marriage, like the fact that I've been able to break a lot of my codependent tendencies, I believe is like a reason I'm in a really healthy marriage now. So um, this is such an important topic. And I'm so excited that Amrit's going to share her personal journey through this. And then in a few weeks, I'm going to have 
um, a psychologist come on and talk about more of the, the clinical side of codependency, but I think it's great to get these two perspectives on, on this topic. So, um, so, so excited to have you talk about this. And my first question for you is when did you first become aware of the fact that you had codependent tendencies? I was so resistant to it, <laughs> which is like so textbook. So typical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I want to preface with, I think that there it's changing, but the narrative around codependency has basically been that you have to either have had like a parent who struggled with addiction and, or a partner who struggles with addiction. And in my journey and speaking with my therapist and all of those things, I truly believe codependency initially is established usually in our childhood from trauma. So that trauma could be that a parent is an addict, um, but it's generally like that you were in an unsafe scenario. And so you learned how to evaluate a room of people constantly to read their energies and determine what their potential next move would be so that you could keep yourself safe. And what that looks like is not being yourself and not like doing things that serve you because you're constantly trying to keep the peace um, and keep that person around basically. Cause it's usually mm -hmm. like a, a parental figure um, or a sibling or something like that. So I honestly wasn't able to be like, I'm a codependent, um, until probably like four or five years ago. Um, when I started working with my current therapist and my ex would actually um, use my codependency against me a lot. So he'd be like, you're being so codependent or that's so codependent or, you know, whatever the narrative was. And of course, my initial reaction was like, oh my God, I'm not. Like, <laughs> that means I'm a bad person. That means I'm fucked up. That means I'm like, uh, you know, I'm crazy. Like all these different things. And once I got the book and started reading through it I was like oh, well balls I this is me to a T <laughs> and I will say the first time I opened up codependency no more which is actually not we'll get to that later but not the book that I recommend for current times um I felt attacked every single page I read I was like god this woman hates codependence like she <laughs> Like all these things. And then like several months later, once I, once I was out of my marriage and I was on my own, I opened the book and started reading it again. And I was like, I just felt understood. And I was like, yes, this is me. This is me. This is me. And like, how can I heal it? And I just became so hyper aware of my codependent tendencies and what they feel like and what behaviors of mine are codependent and sitting with them and getting uncomfortable and journaling and talking to my therapist and talking to friends and really just learning I'm not broken I had trauma and and the trauma affected how I react in relationships and it's time to heal that wow that's so powerful and and it's interesting I don't 
like typically I don't think about codependency as an addiction, but I definitely think it is a form of, you know, it's, it is in some ways a form of addiction. And, and when you were talking about how, when you first started reading about it, you felt attacked. And then once you came to terms with it, you felt heard. And that was like the same experience I had with alcohol addiction when I used to, you know, when people used to point things out to me, it was completely defensive, not wanting to take a look at it, feeling attacked. And then once I came to terms with it, the exact same things were read or heard. And it was, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. So it's, you know, I think for anyone listening, like the, I think the hardest thing when it comes to any of this stuff is first, like having that realization that something's causing an issue, something's causing pain and discomfort, or it's like affecting your life. And then, you know, you know, taking action to, to work on it, like, like you have done so, so beautifully. Um, and so once you, you know, had that realization, once you, you know, kind of came to terms with it and, and started feeling understood, what were some of the things that you would look back on, like in your life, whether that was, you know, as a kid or, you know, high school, like what were some behaviors that you thought back and you're like, wow, that makes so much sense, you know? Everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to just like respond to them, something you said. I think that, yes, codependency sits right next to addiction. And, you know, in um, a lot of times they'll refer to partners of addicts as co-addicts, which is another word for codependency, um, because our addiction is controlling things. And we're not necessarily meaning to, and it's not like to control, to control, it's to control because it's life or death in your mind of, um, you know, it's safety or unsafety. It's really important core things that your little inner child is like this is this feels so similar like I can't like the nervous system like shuts down um and so I think that it's important that to look at it as like yeah it, it can be considered like an addiction or it belongs in that category because it's so similar yeah it's your way of dealing with it um I, one of the biggest eye-opening things for me was any time in my childhood, A, I, I think I chose my, my marriage and that relationship because of my trauma and because I was codependent, it allowed me to continue to play that out um, and continue to be the victim, um, which mm -hmm. is another huge codependent symptom. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but I was remembering how like, I never wanted to tell anybody in my family if I was mad at them or if something felt wrong because I was terrified of abandonment. I was terrified they wouldn't love me anymore or they would go away and then I would be left alone. And when I was alone, when I was little, bad things happened to me. And so that is like the, a huge one of learning how to advocate for myself and share how I'm feeling um, and set boundaries and not care what the other person's response is, because I know that that's going to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I relate to that so much. I, you know, and my, I think my codependency was 
pretty mild. Like I didn't necessarily have that, that trauma growing up, but I was so afraid. I'm, you know, I'm still very, have a very hard time telling people I'm mad at them, but it was almost like I, with everything in me, didn't never wanted to make anyone else uncomfortable. So I, I'll take all the discomfort, like I'll yep. take on all the pain. <laughs> I never want to be the, the cause of someone else's pain. So like, I'll just, you know, deal with this resentment. That's like eating me alive because I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. And I'm the person that like, I'll say I'm mad and then I'll end with, but you know what? It's, it's okay. Like, I'm fine. Like, just wanted to let you know, um, you know, like the, I mean, it's, you know, the, the textbook, like codependency stuff. Like, I love the saying, like, I'm a codependent if that's okay with you. Like, yeah. you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My whole thing is I never, um, I never want to make somebody feel bad and I never want anybody to be mad at me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so realizing like, those are all codependent traits. And this is the thing that I tell people, like every single one of every single, if you're human, you have codependent tendencies. It doesn't mean you are a codependent. It is your, it is your journey to decide. And maybe with your therapist to decide if that's something that you identify as. And I definitely like, um, I had a moment with my therapist a, a couple months back and she was like, I was like the healthy part of me, like what knows this. And then that codependent part of me is over here being like, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, you like, that's so aware. And you could probably be like, you're a recovered codependent. Like, yeah, you still have shit to work through like anybody else. But she's like, I don't know if you would be considered a codependent any longer. And, um, that being said, you can't let your ego get in the way. I still have it. It still shows up. It still rears its head, but I'm so aware of what it feels like now and that it has a name and I know I have to just sit with it and I still have to advocate for myself and I still have to set those boundaries. Um, because for a codependent, you, you, you can't heal without the boundary setting. It's the single most important piece and it's also one of the scariest and it's terrifying it's terrifying yeah. yeah and I think you know I've been talking a lot more on my podcast and you know just on stories about addiction and I've just learned how many people that follow me um have you know parents that are addicts or you know, a lot of people had exes that, that were addicts. And, um, and I think, you know, the codependent and the addict are like, are similar to like the anxious and the avoidant attached. Like they're not good for each other, but they are attracted like no other. (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, for people, and I get the question a lot of like, why couldn't my love change them? Why couldn't Mm. I help them? And I would love to hear from you of like, what were some of the, like, what were some of the things that like you would do in response to like their actions? Cause I think that would help people identify that. I, uh, I don't remember if I said this on the last podcast or not, but I remember 
sitting in my therapist's office pre-COVID and telling her I filed for divorce. And she looked me dead in the eye and she goes, you literally tried everything. It's time. And that's the thing that was where the codependency came in of like, okay, he'd relapse. So this time I'm going to just like be cool with it and be like, it's fine. It's fine. Like we'll work through it. Like I've got compassion. Like I know that what you did was traumatizing to me, but it's okay. Like we'll get through it. Or the other end of it of like just freaking out and um, being angry and being like, I'm moving into a different bedroom until you figure this stuff out. But it was always to manipulate not necessarily consciously, but unconsciously manipulate to show that my love is what's going to heal you. (laughs) My love is what's going to fix this. And that was one of the biggest pivoting points was, this is not about me. And you know, I did mention this in the last podcast, but uh, a mutual friend of Kendra and I, Danica, like asked me, like, how long have you been keeping him from his bottom? Mm-hmm. And that was the wake up of like, it's not me. This has nothing to do with me. This was established far before I came along. And no matter what I do, I cannot fix this person. And it doesn't mean that my love's not pure. It doesn't mean that I'm not a beautiful human. It doesn't mean that I don't have a lot to offer. It's just their wound needs to be healed and they have to heal it. And that's the biggest piece with codependency is watching someone you love quite literally like killing themselves slowly with whatever they're doing and stepping back and saying, I can't help you with this. I love you, but I can't it's harming me as well. And I need to step away from this and work on myself and my own healing because this is just a shit storm. <laughs> it's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's like, I mean, I don't know if this is actually true, but in my experience and what I've seen is like codependent people with codependent tendencies get so much of their worth from other people's um, approval, um, their love, like how much you feel needed. I mean, like, I think if there's anything a codependent loves, it's like they love to feel needed because it makes them feel important that the other person isn't going anywhere. And so that, I think that's why, you know, we tend to be attracted to people who like are a little sick because it's like, we can step in and do that. And I think another thing is like, it's so easy to personalize other people's actions of like, oh, they did this. That means they don't love me mm-hmm. or they're off doing their own thing. Like I'm not important to them when instead of just being able to look at it like, nope, they're at work or, you know, they're right. Oh, they haven't texted me back in an hour and a half. Maybe they're just busy. But it's, you know, it's so hard to like draw that that yeah. line. And, and, and I think too, when it comes to like setting boundaries, it's one of those things where like, you know, I learned this through sobriety is like acting your way into right thinking. Like mm-hmm. I don't, it, you know, you have to like set that boundary before you're ready almost to like tell yeah. yourself, hey, it's okay. Like you can set a boundary and like, 
the other person's like not, you know, every time I've set a boundary, I'm like, they're going to hate me. Um, and if they, and like most of the time they don't, if they hate me, like get out of here, it's their problem. (laughs) You know, it's, I love that quote. It's like the only person that have problems with boundaries are the one that benefit them not being, I use that with clients all the time, all the time. It's yeah. If somebody reacts to your setting of boundaries, it means that they were benefiting from your lack of boundaries before. Yes. And it's, it's so true um, because most of the time you set a boundary and majority of people respect it. And if they don't respect it and they completely go away, like good freaking riddance, or they'll have a reaction to it. And then guess what? Humans are malleable. Like they're going to get used to it. They're going to adjust to it. And then, you know, maybe down the road, you need to set another boundary and another boundary and another boundary. And that's how you change those codependent relationships. You either have to completely cut them out, which will happen on its own as you establish boundaries, or they'll heal, like you're there, they'll heal with you. Yeah. And you have to know the difference. You just have to know what's worth hanging on to and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking I've, I've had a couple, once I've talked about boundaries, I've had a couple people that have asked like, what are boundaries? So like, Mm -hmm. could you give an example of like an, you know, everyday kind of boundary that someone like an example of a boundary someone could set? Yeah. So for example, um, not looking at your phone before like 9am every morning, getting up, you know, keep your phone on, do not disturb, get up, take make your bed, take a shower, get ready, make your coffee, whatever. And then at 9am, that's when you'll like open your computer, check your text messages, check your um, emails, all of those things. That's like a really great way to start setting boundaries with yourself. Like your phone is a great way to practice boundary setting. Um, Also like in a dating scenario, like a you up at 11pm or 1am or something like that, just not responding. Like, and you can simply say like, you can either just not respond or you could be like, Hey, if you want to spend time with me, I would love to see you. Let's set up a time to spend time together. Yep. That's a really strong boundary. And again, if they say no, it was just a booty call anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And like, thank God you found out that like you found that information out and you know, when it comes to like someone going through a breakup and like practicing the no contact rule, like I tell people like you have every right to tell your ex not to contact you. Like hundred percent every right in the book. And if they continuously do not listen to your boundary, like you can block them. Like that is, you know, if someone, if you set a boundary and someone decides to step over it, like that doesn't mean that they're just trying to pursue you. Like it's an active disrespect towards your boundary. They're not respecting your boundaries. And I think, I think you nailed it. Like as, as a recovering codependent or somebody who's just starting this journey, the setting of boundaries is the single most important. And it really is the scariest and the hardest, because again, you've spent your life acquiescing and changing your boundaries from an, for another person to let them take the wheel. Because then if they do something to mess up or like something that you have, it's their fault, not yours. And you don't have to take Mm -hmm. any accountability, which is another huge codependent trait. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really looked at that side of it. 
yeah, you have to like, you're constantly victim. It's constantly, you're the one that things are being done to. And so therefore you don't ever have to take accountability for your own actions and your own participation with whatever scenario you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love if you could also talk, like touch on, because I think like, I think a lot of us can, and you know, this goes back to your last episode of like, you know, if someone is wanting to set a boundary, but they have this like voice in their head screaming, like, and it, it'll sit like, you know, what are some of the things that our head tells us when we're trying to set a boundary, whether that's, oh, it's not that big of a deal or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, what are some of the things like our heads can tell us and, you know, where does that stem from? Yeah, exactly. And it's not that big of a deal or you're overreacting or, um, you know, oh, this just this one time or I'll, I'll stop, like, I'll set a boundary next time or anything like that is that codependent voice trying to keep you in that space. And this goes for a lot of um, trauma recovery in general, but people who had trauma in their childhood, they're primed for chaos. Um, uh, I was, when I was researching attachment styles a couple weeks ago, I, children who have um, like heavy trauma within the first few years of their life, the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that tells you there's danger, actually grows larger than it's supposed to. And so these people are primed for danger and worst case scenario always. And yes, you can go in and, and fix that and do work. Um, but the chaos feels comfortable. And so you have to push against the instinct of the chaos to get into like the calm. And so the setting the boundary is going to create the calm but it feels so unnatural and so terrifying because you're used to the chaos. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've had that come up with people who have a history of toxic relationships where, you know, they feel incredibly uncomfortable with like a really calm relationship because it feels like they're not loved yeah, because it feels like there's not excitement or yeah. passion or fire. I always used to say about my ex, I'm like, we have a fire, like we we um we fight fiery and and we fuck fiery. Like that's yeah. what I would use. That's what I used to say, and I thought it was like this passionate thing. And I look back now, and I'm like, that was so toxic and so sick and so unwell, and it was part of the abusive cycle, and. The way I explain it, I explain the same thing about like, it's kind of a similar to like the difference between anxiety and intuition is even though that new thing doesn't feel safe because it's not what you're used to, if you actually tap into the energetics of it, it feels more grounded in your body. It feels like this, like your inner child might be freaking out or other things might be freaking out, but you can feel this grounded nature in your body. Whereas if you tap into the, the alternative option, which is like the chaos and and the discourse and all of that, it feels like, like an atom, just like shaking, like your, your body is like 
it gets um it's almost like an adrenaline like rush yeah. and so that adrenaline rush feels like exciting and the other thing feels grounded and connected and that's really how you tap into your body and what your body's telling you and like okay this may feel unsafe this may be so different but it actually truly feels better when I tap into it than this other energy yeah yeah I it's that what you shared last time on the podcast about the difference between anxiety and intuition. I use that all the time now. I'm like, Yay. yeah, <laughs> it came up in a, in a coaching session yesterday where I was like, did you listen to the episode with Omri on anxiety? <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of like fears that can come up and just like the feeling of like how unnatural things are. So I did want to talk about like, the fears that came up for you when you found yourself single, because I think Mm -hmm. for a couple reasons, like, you know, you're so used to having this person around. And then if that person's an addict, like they really take up all All your heads, they take up all the space. (laughs) And then on top of that, I think the second layer is you like, you know, I always called myself a chameleon. I had no idea that meant like, I was codependent, you know, where like what I like to eat and what I like to watch was all dependent on like who I was with. So like, you know, also the anxious attachment style. (laughs) Totally. I feel like there's, there's gotta be a marriage there. There has to, there has to be. Um, but you know, walk me through like what it looked like for you when, when you did become single and, and, you know, had to face all of this. It, it's twofold. Um, of course, you know, I'm, when I found myself single, I was 32. Um, and I was like, I want kids and like, I want all these things. So, um, that was like really scary for me. And then I was like, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe my mind is just too broken and I'm just going to be alone for my life because, I, I clearly don't attract the right people. Um, I started dating like fairly soon and not because I was actually looking for a relationship because I really wasn't, but I was uh, so neglected for that last few years of Mm. my marriage and, um, sex was few and far in between. And I was very hungry for just affection. And in that, I did not choose the wisest choices in that first uh, probably like year Um, because I hadn't done enough work of just sitting with myself. So I, I had some like repeat scenarios and I'd never had a boyfriend. Like I haven't had a boyfriend even since my, since my split. Um, Like I've dated people, but there was never any like exclusive scenarios, but I think the way I did it was fine. And also I think that being alone was scary for me. Um, And I really needed to know I was desirable because I felt so undesired. And I was coming from the wrong places and looking for, for a validation through the men that I was dating. And it just it didn't work. And so I had to take a step back and really give myself some time to 
work on myself and find find like the love for myself and be like damn I am the whole package I have a lot to offer I've done a lot of work still have so much work to do but I've done a lot of work and really it was when I came to that realization being like the right person will show up and the right person will not make me feel like any of these scenarios Mm, yeah and I have to be stable enough in myself and my own self-worth to know that my biggest toxic trait is ignoring red flags (laughs) (laughs) uh, somebody somebody posted the other day like a little like character cartoon of like a guy holding like a bouquet of red flags and the girl be like oh my god thank you and I was like that like I look back at scenarios and I'm like, red flags were flying at my face. And I I feel like I kind of got off track, but I realized it wasn't that I I don't mind being alone. I love like my alone time in my apartment at night, like by myself. I don't want my phone around me. I'm just going to like zone out. But the thought of not being able to have children or like not getting the things I wanted in life and the fear of that had me making decisions that were not necessarily the healthiest for me and so I really worked with my therapist I talked with my friends and have really done so much growth over that so that I stopped attracting people who were just going to suck me dry This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. 
So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You said so many good things. I wish I wrote down what I was going to say back, but I mean, I think, you know, the first thing of, you know, after getting out of a relationship like that and, you know, seeking what you were seeking, like I, that is when I made the most unwise relationship decisions. And I think it's like, when we have that singular goal in mind of like, I want to be validated, like I want someone to make me feel worthy and desired. It's pretty easy to, to oversee red flags. Like it's, it's pretty easy to, to do that because if you're getting affection, compliments, attention, like, you know, if it comes with, you know, some, some toxic traits, like my yeah. singular goal or were these other things. Um, and, oh my gosh, it's going to come back to me. Oh, I loved what you said about like, when I find the right person, I'm not going to feel this way. And like, or you said something along those lines. And I think there's this great combination because I think this comes a lot with people with codependent traits is a lot of the times, like we can also put the blame like on ourselves where like, you know, at least for me, I'll be like, oh, I'm feeling codependent with this person because I'm just codependent and like, it's all my fault. And I think there mm -hmm. has to be like this meeting of halfway. Like, yes, we all need to do work to like heal those tendencies, but like also, you know, it's not a good idea to like be with an avoidant person when you are someone that has that history, because like, you need someone that's consistent. So it's not just about like, oh, I just have to do the work and then any guy could come in and I'd be fine. It's like, no, there also has to be like some judgment on that. A hundred percent. And I also think it's literally just texting with a friend about it last night. I said consistently each person was better that I've like dated in that like I learned, I, you know, I can look back at every single scenario in the last two years a uh, year and a half ish, two years, and be like, I learned that from that thing. And it was all not, it was all about me. It was like the first one is like, I cannot ignore red flags. And like my, like, because there was one person I dated, like, I was getting UTIs, I was, um, uh, I had a rash on my, like, uh, like my body was literally like, this person is toxic. And when all this information came out about this person, I was just like, holy shit, like, like, what have I been doing? <laughs> how has this, I'm an intuitive person, like how, like, and so again, I think that this like recovery process with being codependent is so much sitting with 
the uncomfortable things inside of you like okay what's the worst case scenario if I'm alone like I'm an adult now I'm not in an unsafe scenario you have to keep bringing yourself back to the present moment and just like with anxiety like anxiety is constantly pulling you to the future or the past it's not in the present usually and so like in this present moment this is what I'm feeling, this triggered emotion, whatever is not actually happening. So I'm going to sit with it in a safe space. What happens if I'm alone? I don't know. I'm a pretty great person to hang out with, I think. So like, at least I have myself, like I've got friends, like really just like pinpointing the positive things that you have in your life that are pushing you towards being a healthier, more conscious, elevated person. And codependency will keep you back. It, I think it's the number it's the number one thing that kept me from leaving before I left. It's the number one thing that kept me from having to take accountability for any of my own shit. And I think, you know, that saying of you're not responsible for your trauma, but you're responsible for healing it is so valid. It sucks. Yeah. But it is the way it is because nobody else can do the work for you. And that was the thing with my ex. I'm like, if he just like gets clean, like if he just is sober for X amount of time or like if he just like gives it a chance, then we could have like a bouncing board or we could have a standing chance. And it was like, no, because I was sick too. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I was really, if we're going to put it like, I was just as sick because I was, I was in love and attached to a potential of something. And that potential was never going to happen. And once I walked away, I realized that. And I and then and I had to really do the deep, deep, deep. It's painful. I'm not gonna lie. It's like some of the most excruciating moments with sitting with the things that you don't that shadow self, those things that you really do not want to look at. And then you sit with them and you pull them out and you put them in the light and you're like, okay, this is like uncomfortable, but it's like not as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. And then you can see the light and you're like, okay, I can, I can do this. I believe in myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's helped me with that kind of stuff is like starting with like the safest person that I know setting a boundary. Yes. Like I am fully convinced that like I have certain people that I feel safe setting boundaries with. And that gives me the courage to like go out and have the harder conversations because you don't want to start with like, you know, the, the toughest one. And I, yeah. I remember like my therapist at one point, I was so bad at like inconveniencing other people or my ther- or my old therapist used to make me ask for extra napkins at a restaurant, whether I needed them or not. She's like, it's okay to make yourself a little bit bigger. Like all I wanted to do was just shrink down and be so small. So I wouldn't like impede on anyone else, but learning like, it's okay to like be your own size and like be big if you need to. And take up space. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing with codependency is you're so terrified to take up any space. Um, You know, you live this existence of, you know, hoping, hoping somebody just like, doesn't really notice you. Yeah. (laughs) Because if they notice you, then that means X, Y, and Z. Um, And 
like that was my biggest realization with my journey was, you know, you would think that like, oh, okay, well, my codependency came from being in a relationship with an addict for 12 years. And then I was like, no, like I can, I can pinpoint from being really, really little having codependent thoughts. Of course, I didn't know what they were at the time, but like really little and then being like, oh, I chose the relationship I chose so I could continue to play that out. So I could continue to be in that mindset because it was all I ever knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know for me, like my codependency was what caused me to be in, you know, my narcissistic toxic relationship because, you know, even looking at like how controlling he was of me, like it felt like love because it felt like someone cared enough about me to like care about what I'm doing. And it's, it was so easy to mistake anything like that with, with love. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that as a, um, I think that's actually like the biggest piece that we're tapping into here is that if you uh, lean towards being codependent or are codependent, your idea of love is not what real love is. Mm, Yeah. And that was the biggest thing for me to realize. It doesn't mean that I didn't love my ex and I like all of that, but what I thought love was is not real love. It's not real healthy love. So I'm going to put it that way. It's not a real healthy love. Um, And, and that's, okay that it wasn't like it's what it was it was a it was a learning point and I clearly uh was a really big bouncing board for some really deep healing but like love is not contingent on all the things that a codependent thinks it's contingent on yeah and again that goes into I think that codependent's idea of unconditional love is usually really unhealthy because we think unconditional love means throwing yourself into something Uh, compromising yourself loving that person no matter how they treat you no matter like all of those things and the reality is unconditional love is loving somebody no matter what but doesn't mean you have to stay in the fire it means you can step away and love them from afar and hold space for them that's unconditional love (laughs) and like learning how to you know stand up for yourself and like protect yourself and realizing like you know, and I had to realize like how beneficial, like how beneficial boundaries were to my relationships because I, you know, with friends, like had to set these boundaries and I heard like, thank you. Like I had no idea I was like hurting you in that way. And it like, and that's one thing that I've been working on with this. I don't, this is probably off topic, but one thing I've been working on with my therapist is like so much of my life was like, tiptoeing around other people that like I never expressed when I was upset so I never got to see real relationships have the like tear and mend because that's how relationships get Mm -hmm. stronger is you have you know you have arguments you have things and then you come back together and repair it and I never witnessed that so for me like anytime I think I'm in a fight with a friend like my first instinct is to like cut and run because like, I don't want to, you know, say something that'll make them leave me. So I'd rather just, you know, yeah, you in the other direction. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> learning like how setting boundaries and having these tough conversations are leading to like even stronger relationships now in my life. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you, you get a real 
time realization really quickly of the people who truly are on your side and that you're on their side because they're the ones that are going to be like, let's sit down, let's have this uncomfortable conversation, let's unpack it. Um, you know, oh, I'm, or like you said, like, oh, I had no idea you felt like that way. Of course, I'll respect that. Um, and then you have the people who like freak out and are like, if you do that, then I'm gone. And it's like, okay, like that's where you know you're making strides in your in your codependency journey is when somebody says that to you, like if that's what you're doing that I'm jutting, and you're like, see yeah. you never. <laughs> you're like, that's okay, I'm okay with that because clearly this wasn't a real thing and you were benefiting from me being unhealthy and I have no space for those relationships in my life anymore. Yes, 100%. And what that made me think about is I think one of the things is like this lack of self-esteem, self-worth. And I cannot think of a quicker way to build self-esteem than by than by speaking your needs and setting boundaries. Like that is like, if you're looking for a secret to build self-esteem, that is it. It's almost, in, it's almost instant in the sense that like, again, I talk with my clients about this all the time of the flexing of the muscle. And it's like the first time you set boundaries, it's so terrifying, but then you feel so empowered and proud of yourself for setting a boundary, advocating for yourself, holding space for yourself and like, like honoring yourself that you're like, oh yeah, I can do this again. And then it like, you start to kind of like rapid fire. And the thing is, is like, you do lose people. I'm not going to lie. People do drop out and it's like. You, ha- you have to deal with the grief and the pain of that. And also you're kind of like, I just don't, I love this person, but I just don't have space for them. And I realized that that relationship is not what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And not to mention like all the, like relationships you lose in that way is like when you say I don't have the space for this mm-hmm. and you cut it out like you are opening space a hundred and it always gets filled it better. always gets feel filled it like the way the universe works blows my mind sometimes I like had a scenario recently where I was like putting a boundary around something um and like within days, like I was getting reached out to by like people who I like hadn't talked to for some of them like weeks, months. And I was just like, and it's a test. This is the thing with setting boundaries. And it's the trickiest part of it. I think in the like mind space is the universe will test you to make sure that you're willing to hold that boundary up for yourself. And when you pa- like pass the test, you feel like you're unstoppable. Yeah. It feels so good. It feels so good. And it puts you into this positive cycle of feeling more able to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's like, it's validating. Yeah. You're like, oh, like I, you know, some people like the codependent. So like, if we go over like how the codependent mind would work with that, like if you set a boundary and then the universe tests you, you're like, oh, it means something. It means that person's supposed to be back in my yeah. life. And like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, got to take a step back and be like, nope, it means this is a test for me to really validate if I'm willing to take this step. 
and make and change this pattern. Um, and so you really have to, this works so not easy in the sense that you have to be brutally honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to, I don't really like the words tough love because I think, um, I think tough love's used in a lot of ways to abuse people, but with yourself, that like tough love of no, like I made this boundary and I am going to stick to that boundary because it is what I know I need to heal and move forward. And that kind of honesty too with, you know, when you're in the, like, say you're out of a breakup and you're in the beginning of dating and, you know, the person that you're dating starts doing things that like, you're not sure are good or not. It's like, that's when you ask yourself completely honestly, like, is this okay with me? And like, that is that moment to take action on that. Because I think when you do that, you're also like communicating to the universe, like, no, this person, like, this is not the kind of behavior that's okay with me. And when you do that, that's when you get people that have the right kind of behavior and character. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I also tell people it, this can be with friendships or romantic relationships, like write down your non-negotiables. And if someone shows up and that non-negotiable is, um, sitting there, you have to be willing to walk away. Um, because again, this is your, this is learning your own value and what you hold. And if you're like non-negotiable is like, you know, I want to get married and have kids. And this person you meet is like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, really know about marriage. I'm not sure about kids. Like, and you're like, oh, well, maybe I could take his mind. <laughs> or <laughs> if you start you, questioning, like, maybe your own, or like, oh, do I really want that? Is that really important to me? It's like, which holding my hand up, I've totally done that. A hundred percent. Where I'm like, maybe. Oh, or they're not looking for a relationship. That's okay. Like maybe I don't need a relationship right now. Maybe, maybe this could turn into that. Let me like, just take it slow. And like, those are the scenarios where you gotta like, it's hard because again, if you have an anxious attachment style and you're codependent, um, you want to attach yourself to somebody. And especially if you're like having, you know, chemistry with them, but just because you have chemistry does not mean that is a healthy and good place for you to be. Yes, which I have learned that one multiple times. Uh, and you know what? I like, I've definitely also caught myself doing that with friendships. Like, I've had some like really hot and heavy friendships that like I find myself adapting to what they like how they talk like all that stuff and it and it's it I'm actually like having this realization as I'm on this interview with you but like I have had those things in in friendships too so learning how to and and if you're someone that's single and it's like how do you practice this kind of stuff when you're not either pursuing a relationship or in a relationship like friends is a great place it's a beautiful place because they're, sa- they're safe, you know? A friend of mine, one of my best friends, actually, we were talking recently. We were, like, texting, and I asked about, like, a movie or whatever. And she was like, oh, I don't really like it. And I'm like, oh, I was like, yeah, I like it. Like, I, like, yeah. And she's like, she's like, we don't have to be the same person. And I was like, yeah, you're right. We don't have to be the same person. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Like, so those are the kinds of friendships that you want to hold on to because – 
there are people who, and my friends and I talk about codependency all the time. Like it's an open conversation that I have with people because it's 2021. And I think it's like something that's still not talked about enough again, because every single person has codependent tendencies. And like, what does that look like in, in your relationships? Yeah. And it's, I've, I meant to kind of make this disclaimer earlier, but one thing, my argument for not wanting to work on codependency was I, in my head thought like not being codependent was the whole, like, I'm an independent woman. I don't need anyone kind of a thing. Like that's not, that's not the opposite. It's not. So it's not about like, if you're saying like, well, I like depending on people. I like having relationships in my life. That's great. Like you can still have, you know, there's, there's a big difference between like being codependent, like being someone that's just exists in an objective in relationships and someone that like repel, you know, wants to like disengage from all of those. So yes, that's a huge differentiation. Um, And I think that it's more, this is what it comes down to when it comes to romantic and friendships. You never, ever, unless it's a baby to a mom or a dad, never want to need someone. As soon as you need someone, it crosses over into potential codependent behaviors. You choose someone. You choose to live your life with someone. You choose your friends. The word need should not be in your vocabulary when it comes to humans in your life. Yes. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And, you know, kind of shifting gears on and I, th- well, I guess it's not shifting gears because I think one of the best ways to overcome not feeling the need to have other people is because you learn how to feed yourself. Like you learn how to, not, I, I'm not even going to say like love yourself, but just you learn like what, like what you said, like, I like this movie, maybe other people don't like it, but it's like so much about overcoming codependency is like finding that happiness and that wholeness from within. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear like, what are some, like, what were some practices that you did or things that you did to like, to find that within, within yourself? Yeah, it's, I think you named it. And I also would add like, it's creating the safe space within yourself rather than trying to seek out the safe space from people around you. Um, I read, uh, you know, Codependency No More. My my favorite book on codependency is the same author. It's the new codependency. She wrote it for millennials. Um, she It came out in like 2009, I want to say, because uh, Codependency No More was written in 1986. So she even says in the first chapter, like, I was so wrong on some things. Like, I realized, like, I've done so much work and I realized that those, that wording doesn't work for current generations. So um reading that book and pulling it out and sometimes just like opening it to a page is really helpful. I did so much journaling, um, you know, meditating and really like honing that love for myself and, and really like honing the love for that little one inside of me who got a shit card drawn for life, but was so brave 
(laughs) and like so courageous and she just kept going and she's the reason that I'm like been able to do that work because falling in love with that inner child that you that you kind of sometimes battle with because they're a reminder of the trauma but like falling in love with that has been really huge and being proud of her and proud of who I am um surrounding yourself with true uh, I'm going to say for myself, like female friendships who, who really are your hype women, they're going to call you out when you need to be called out. But like, when it comes down to it, like in this group of friends I have, like if any of us say anything like negative about ourselves, we're like, Hey, don't freaking talk bad about my friend like that. I will hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> um, therapy is, has been having a therapist who's primed in codependency and, and knows how to work with um, people who have, you know, been in scenarios that whatever your trauma or whatever your life experience is, is really important. Um, and changing my relationship with my body, how I talk to her, how I move her. Um, those are all have all been really huge pieces of learning that I'm a standalone person. And yes, I want people in my life because it makes life better and more enjoyable and like beautiful, but I'm okay. And I will be okay just with me. It's you saying that is so beautiful. Cause I remember at one point, like just wanting that so bad like just wanting to be okay in my own skin without having people around and and I will tell you like this year has definitely pushed me to my edges of am I really okay on my own um because of the fact like you know I still it can slip by me like how much I rely on seeing friends and staying mm-hmm. busy and all of those things so this year has really been like all right this is like where the rubber hits the road, like, am I good on my own? And, um, but I think, you know, similar to you is like, I wouldn't call myself a codependent anymore. Like I have those, those tendencies and, um, and how good does that feel? How good does it feel to be able to be like, I'm no longer like a codependent? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's so funny sometimes, like I'll get into like arguments with my husband and, I'll like smile because I'm like, oh my gosh, I brought up something that was bothering me. I disagreed with something that he said. And I'm like, that's so huge. It's like such a big deal for me. I had a scenario recently um, with my mom, actually, like we kind of like got into it and I haven't talked to her for a few weeks, which is like, it's totally fine. But like, even like eight months ago, a year ago, I would have tried to correct and panicked and freaked out and like thrown my, I'm the, I was the person who would always take accountability for things that actually weren't mine to take accountability for just to fix the scenario. Yeah. And, um, I'm like, we'll talk when we talk. She's my mom. She loves me. But what happened was like, it's a boundary for me. I'm not going to allow that. And it's okay. And I'm like, I can see like, honestly sit here in my body grounded not one ounce of panic because thinking she doesn't love me I'm never going to talk to her again because I know that 
I'm okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay for me to tell people when I'm upset. It's okay for me to set a boundary and walk away. It's okay for me to do all these things because I am now in control and I am taking care of that little one inside. And because that's really where all the panic always comes from is our inner child. Like, yeah, you're, you can as an adult can panic, but like, I think you know what kind of inner panic I'm talking about. Yes, um, where it's, it can oftentimes seem disproportionate to desperate the out of situation. control. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. And so I I realized the other day I was like, oh my god, I I've even my friends have been like, the amount of growth you've done in the last six months is like insane. We've watched you just like walk away from scenario after scenario, like stronger and stronger and stronger. And so again, that's the part of the piece of surrounding yourself with people who see that is really important because we do need that external validation sometimes. Yes. Um, Like validation is so important. It doesn't mean that if you don't get it, how you feel is not true, but it's, it's important to get that sometimes. And when you finally like you don't realize you've done the growth you've done until like days into something and you're like huh that doesn't bother me yeah <laughs> or realizing like wow i reacted to that so differently or like you know it's so interesting cuz i've always desired love and affection from other people but it mm-hmm. wasn't until i could look at a friend and say like can i have a hug I really need one. Yeah. Instead of just thinking they're not, they don't love me because they're not anticipating mm. that I need a hug. Yeah. Ask for asking for what you want. Yeah. It's huge. And again, getting really honest, are you asking for what you want out of a manipulation or are you truly just asking what you want? Because I think that's the biggest piece is are you trying to control and manipulate a scenario because it feels scary and unsafe? That's the code. That's codependent. Yeah. Or are you just willing to sit with the discomfort and like ask for what you want? And if the person's not willing to give it to you, it doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean anything about you really. It's, it's their own process and that's okay. That's okay. Allowing other people to sort it out and have their own process is just as important as you doing the own the own internal work of like it's not it's not personal might be the biggest like mantra that a codependent needs to hear for themselves it's It's not not about me it's not personal yeah I know I need to get I need to put that up somewhere (laughs) I remind myself of it every day yeah (laughs) Well, I think that's a beautiful place to close. Yeah. Thank you so much again. This yeah, is, thank you. I, you know, we always know this, but like you and I could literally have like a 10 hour podcast interview. We could, it's maybe I'll be back. Who knows what we'll yeah. talk about next time. <laughs> um, well, I'll put it in the show notes, but can you remind people where they can find you? Yes. I'm at body bliss life, Instagram, TikTok, and bodyblisslife.com. Um, amazing yeah. well head yeah head to the show notes to click over to her website and and see all the amazing offerings uh that she provides i hope you enjoyed today's show if you loved it i hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends 
If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.